Good morning, Harmony. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we took the family to Corpus uh, and went to the beach because uh, that's what you got to do when you're in San Antonio and it's summer, right? Is you got to go to the beach. And uh, so me and Jake were walking through kind of like, you know, water that's up to about our waist. And it was a crowded beach day. I mean, you know how it is in the summer in Corpus. And uh, we're walking and kind of looking for shells and just whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, I look down and I see something kind of like bigger and shiny laying at the bottom of the floor. And I couldn't really make out what it was because of the seaweed and stuff. And so I reached down and it's a fish, a dead fish. And so I grabbed the fish and I'm showing Jake. And he's like, oh, this is so cool. You know, he's looking at the gills. He's, he's looking at all these things because he's that kid. He's the kid who's like, I want to touch all the dead animals and bugs and all that. But I'm walking back up to show Nicole, and I see this group of people with an astonished look upon their face, and they've been watching me. They thought I caught a live fish in the ocean. And so I'm walking up, and this lady's like, he just reached down and grabbed the fish. It was amazing. And I had one of these moral dilemmas for a second where I was like, I could just let this story live. I mean, I didn't lie. I didn't say I caught the fish. They think I did. Why do I need to ruin that story? But I walked up to her and she was like, how did you do that? And I was like, it was dead. <laughs> I could never catch a live fish. My reflexes are slower than anybody you've ever known. There's no way I could have done that. But it was funny because it was one of those things where you're just reminded how when you have a limited perspective, when you have limited information, you can build a story that is as far from the truth as possible. Right? There were some people in that moment who all of a sudden thought they were watching Survivor Man catch a live fish with his bare hands in the ocean. And the reality is they were watching a fat bald guy pick up a dead fish in the ocean. <laughs> and I share that with you because I think we have to be careful that as we go through Scripture, as we go through our lives, as we go through our relationship with God, that we don't start to believe narratives that actually aren't real. It's funny because sometimes when you fall into a routine, when you fall into just doing the same things over and over again, you start to actually kind of forget the real reason you were there. You kind of forget the real truth. You kind of forget what this whole thing's really about. And so over the last few weeks, I've been kind of taking you through some different stories that to me are some of my absolute favorite stories about who Jesus is. And the whole point has been for us to focus on what John 3.30 tells us. Uh, John 3.30 is John's watching his ministry shrink and Jesus' growth, and he goes, he must become greater, I must become less. Right? His people are, are looking at things and going, well, well John, we've got we to panic. We're in trouble. Our ministry is shrinking every day. We've got to keep the, the wheels running. What are we going to do? And John's looking at him like, no, you guys don't get it. My whole ministry was about getting people ready for him. Amen. He's here. So I don't care. In fact, I want to see this become less if that becomes more. And I think, brothers and sisters, that's a very important concept for you and I to understand because, to be honest with you, I don't think a lot of modern Christianity actually emphasizes the fact that Jesus must become greater and we must become less. 
I actually think a lot of modern Christianity is built around the concept of let me use Jesus to make myself greater. I think a lot of people have come to the church and a lot of churches have sold Christ as this fix-all, miracle cure that's going to make your life better than it was before. And we come to Christ not necessarily for who he is, but for what he has. And we've got to be real careful with that. Because if we just pause for a second and we go, would you want that to be the truth of any relationship you have in life? I think we would all agree the answer would be no. I don't know any person who would genuinely want to have a relationship with somebody who loves them not for who they are, but for what they have. Right? In fact, normally in a relationship, if we start to sense that, if we start to sense that somebody is our friend because you know, we have money, or because we have a pickup truck, or because we own a company, or because we're the smart kid at school and they can copy our homework, right? The moment we realize somebody is our friend, not because they actually like me, but because they want to use me, what do we typically do with those relationships? Most of us get rid of them. Because we realize those relationships aren't built in real love and loyalty and dedication. They're built on this concept of, I just want to use you for me. And I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of Christians today have that exact same mentality when it comes to Jesus. I think there's a lot of Christians who actually have no love for the character and the personality of Jesus Christ. They're just in love with his wisdom and they're in love with his power. And they're hoping through their good behavior, through their regular attendance, through their prayer, that they can use that as leverage to get God to do what they want him to do in their lives. And brothers and sisters, that is a broken and corrupt Christianity. This book is not a self-help manual. This help book is not about you. This book is not about wisdom to help you have a better marriage or to help you raise your children right or to help you be financially savvy. It's not about those things. This is a book about you encountering the most beautiful personality in the entire world, the person that is Jesus Christ. This is about you understanding who he is, what he stands for, how he loves you, how he interacts in your life, and what he wants to do in a relationship with you. And yes, along the way, because he's perfect, because he's brilliant, as you read about him and his wisdom, you realize that if I apply these things to areas of my life, like my marriage, like raising my children, that yes, it sometimes, a lot of the times, brings success. But that's not the point. The point is the relationship with him. And so, brothers and sisters, as we go through these stories, my hope for you is that you look at Scripture and you let Scripture tell you who Jesus is. Because I think many people have fallen in love with the image of Christ that is more what modern Christianity has shaped than it is directly what Scripture tells us it is. I told you before, I I get so tired of the pictures of Jesus that look like an old Barry Gibb painting a sheep, and if you don't know Barry Gibb, that's a reference to the Bee Gees, Google it, right? 
long flowing hair that looks like it's perfectly manicured in a white robe holding a sheep or hugging little children. And I'm sorry, like that's not the guy that gets killed by the Roman Empire. Nobody kills that guy. And while there are moments where Jesus is this unbelievably compassionate and loving and caring and understanding being, he is so much more. So much more. And if you and I don't continually remind ourselves of that, if we don't continually go into Scripture and read about who He is and how He behaves and how He acts and interact with Him in that way in our lives, we will miss the beauty that is Him. And the reason that's so important is, brothers and sisters, that's the point of Christianity. We should not be sitting in these pews today because we think this helps us get to heaven. We should be sitting in these pews today because we want some kind of leverage that we can bargain with God this week when we pray to say, hey, you need to help me out here because I had to sit through that really boring sermon this Sunday. All right, we should be sitting here because we go, when I do this, it brings joy to my Father. When I do this, I learn about Him and I get closer to Him. When I do this, it changes my relationship with him and it improves it. That's why I'm here. That's why I do these things. Because I need to be, I don't want, I need to be where he is. And so I want you to look at this passage with me today. Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple different passages. But I think today's stories highlight a part of Jesus' personality we just choose to ignore. Now, I have my theories on, on why we choose to ignore it. I think one is that it's not the easiest to share. Right? When, when we want to share Jesus with people, it's really hard sometimes to talk about personalities that are very dynamic. <laughs> Right? When an individual is a very dynamic person and they can be unbelievably funny and unbelievably serious and unbelievably deep and unbelievably contemplative, but at the same time they can go by the seat of their pants at moments, it's hard to describe those people very easily because they just don't fit one box. And so I think a lot of us in our way of sharing Jesus have tried to come up with the simplest, most digestible, most easy to take Jesus. And that's why we get this picture of this loving, compassionate, nice guy. Because who doesn't need a loving, compassionate, nice guy in their lives? That's awesome. Nobody can get offended at that. But I think the real reason that we ignore stories like this is it presents a Jesus who's intimidating. It presents a Jesus that you and I actually start to realize, like, that guy, that's not somebody I have in my life. And when he tells me to do something, I go, eh. I don't really feel like doing that. Thanks for your advice, but I'm not going to take it. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, stories like this, when we start to see the power of Christ, we start to realize, if I have him in my life, there's a different kind of dynamic here. Yes, this is somebody loving. Yes, this is somebody who cares about me. But this is also not a pushover. This is also not somebody who's weak. I am bringing a powerful, forceful, life-changing, world-shaping personality into my life. And I think that intimidates some of us. 
And so I want you to look at this passage with me. John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 23. It says, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your father's house will consume me. Then the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us at your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you say you'll raise it in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And so when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word which was spoken about Jesus. So let me break this story down for you. So Passover is one of these religious feasts where all law-abiding Jews need to come to Jerusalem and come to the temple to perform sacrifices. And so Jerusalem was crazy during these festivals. In fact, most of the time they would actually meet and legally extend the boundaries of the city for these festivals so that everybody could say they were in Jerusalem. And since the Jewish people had grown since the Old Testament and were more dispersed and lived in farther away places, it was very hard for all of the Jews to bring the things to the temple that were necessary for the sacrifices. Right? You needed to have oxen, you needed to have doves, uh, you needed to make a monetary sacrifice of silver. And so what happened was a business built around the temple for sacrificial season. You would come in with your Roman money, you would exchange it for the silver that was necessary for your tithe and offering to God. You would also come in without any animals, and you would buy at the market the doves and the oxen that you needed, because it was much easier to do that there in Jerusalem than try to carry those things with you for you know, hundreds of miles, thousands of mile journeys. Well, by the time Jesus shows up, this is no longer just a thing of convenience this has turned into a major money-making industry. And for convenience sake, these shops aren't set up around the temple. They are now set up in the temple. And so Jesus shows up to his father's house, and he's watching everything that's happening. And what he's seeing is that in God's house, where you and I are supposed to be drawn to his holiness, where you and I are supposed to experience the awesome power of being in his presence, where we're supposed to be thinking about things like our sins that we need to repent from and our praises that we need to lift up. He walks into it and he finds no one's doing that. Instead, in his father's house, men are using it to rip people off. If you go back and look at some of the histories, some of these items that you were purchasing were like six to seven hundred percent the price that you would pay at any other time. 
Anybody ever been to like SeaWorld and see those uh, Coke machines that on the really hot days, it's like $4 to get a Coke? Nowhere else would you pay $4 for a Coke, but what do they know then? They know one, you have no other options, you're dying of heat, so you're gonna pay me four bucks for a Coke. And that was basically the mentality that took over the temple. You need a dove, you know you need a dove. So even though it should only cost you two bucks, you're gonna pay me 20. And oh, you need silver. So when you exchange your Roman money for me, I'm not gonna just do a nice even swap for you. I'm actually gonna charge you three times what it is just to do the exchange. And so Jesus sees all this and it creates in him an anger. A deep anger. And I want all of you to think about that because I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of Christians, if you would ask them, is it all right to be angry, they would tell you no. I think a lot of Christians, if you ask them, is anger a sin? I think a lot of people would say, yeah, you should never be angry. That is wrong. There are absolutely moments where you should burn with anger. There are absolutely moments where there should be a fire inside your chest because of the injustice that you see happening in front of you. Because brothers and sisters, here's the reality. If you love, well, then anger is going to come right there with it. Right? If you love your children when you see injustice on your children, what does that make you feel? If you love your fellow man and you see injustice put at their feet, how does that make you feel? If you love your God and you see people defile his name and call him a liar, how does that make you feel? should put a fire in you. And it put a fire in Jesus. There's one line in there that I love more than any of them if you want to know about the type of anger because I, I want to clarify something. There's something beautiful and measured about his anger in that it is a measured and thought out anger. So in our house, we spank our children. I'm not ashamed of that. I think it's biblical. I think it's right. I think it's absolutely necessary to discipline children the right way. But one thing that me and Nicole always try to focus on is that when we spank our children, that we are not doing that when we're seeing red. Right? There are those moments your kids do something, you're like, ah, oh, I'm going to kill you, you little punk. How did you do that? And what we've really tried to work on is making sure in that moment, when we feel that, we don't spank. Instead, we like, let ourselves breathe, let ourselves get a little calm, get a little collected, really think about the punishment, really think about what needs to be done, and then determine how we're going to handle that. And you see that with Jesus here. Notice it says he drove them out, and how did he drive them out? Did he say, attention, everybody, attention, everybody. I think we've lost sight of the Old Testament scriptures here. I think we really need to check our hearts. Could everybody please exit the temple, and we can have a discussion about this. Is that what happened? No. He drove them out with what? A whip. That. What? Where did he get the whip, folks? He made it. I love that line. That is a righteous indignation of a certain type. Right? He looks around this temple. He looks around his father's house, and he is, he's on fire. And he is planning what he is going to do. 
These people have defiled my father, they have defiled his house, and they are robbing from the people who are here with right intention. This will not stand. And so he sits there, and with cords, he winds and makes his own whip. And once he's done, he clears the temple. And he does it violently. Flipping tables, throwing money. This is not a calm, easy process. This is Jesus on fire clearing his father's house. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to think about that. I want you to really visualize it because I don't know how many of us think about Jesus that way on a day-to-day basis. I don't know how many of us that's our Jesus. Because let's be real, you and I have done things in our lives that have made Jesus that angry. Right? If he's our father, I know I've made him that angry. I know that because I've made my own father that angry. And my own father doesn't know near the things that Jesus knows about me. Jesus knows every wrong thought, every wrong deed, every wrong behavior, everything. So I guarantee I've made him that angry before. Have I felt that? Have I experienced that? If you sit there and you go, no, I've never experienced that, that that tells you there's an issue in your relationship then. Because if he's definitely felt it and you've actually caused it, then you should have felt that in your relationship. And so, brothers and sisters, why I think this is so important for us is this is where you start to see why he deserves to be your Lord. See, in this moment, what we see about Jesus is his anger doesn't come from personal pride. It comes from a love of God. And see, I think that's a very important distinction for you and I because this is typically the number one difference between our anger and his anger. If I'm just honest with you, most of the time that I get angry, it's because I feel I've been wronged. My pride is hurt. My ego is wounded. Right? Something's happened that makes me feel like I didn't get mine. And because I feel shorted, now I'm upset. Now I'm angry. Well, God doesn't typically like that type of anger. Why? Because it's self-consumed. That type of anger isn't about love. That type of anger isn't about glorification of God. That type of anger is not about justice. A lot of times that anger is about you and your pride. And so often that kind of anger, God is saying, hey, let it go. Show some love. Show some grace. Because if we're the kind of people who we've always got to get tit for tat, well, watch out. That creates a dangerous world. But the kind of anger that God is perfectly fine with is the kind of anger that's created by love. Why I'm mad, not because of what's been done to me, but because of what's been done to those I care about. By what's been done to my God. By what's been done to his truth. That's the kind of fire we want to see. And brothers and sisters, why I think it's unbelievably important for us to realize that our Jesus is one that can be angry. And angry in a forceful and powerful and active way 
is I don't think any single one of you would follow somebody who's just a nice guy. Like, just think about your own bosses that you've had at work. Do you want your boss just to be a nice guy or a nice girl? Normally not. Right? Because it's nice to have a nice leader. It's nice because most of the time they make you feel good. They tell you jokes. They make you feel good about who you are. They don't give you a lot of negative feedback. Right? Everything's nice. But the problem about having a nice person as your leader is what happens when there's an obstacle? What happens when a fight is brought to your door? What happens when there's something that requires not just kindness, but power? What happens to a lot of those nice people in those moments? A lot of them just go, well, you know, I wasn't able to get us there, sorry. See, if I'm going to line up and fall at my knees and go, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. Not my one-time Savior. You're my everyday Lord. With every breath, with every thought, with every action, every single minute, I don't do my will. I do yours. Well, then I want a powerful God. I want a God that's not only compassionate and kind, but I want one that gets angry. Because I've lived in this world, and it's not always easy. There will be fights brought to your doorstep. There will be attacks brought to you. There will be injustice. There will be evil. And in those moments, you need this. You need a Jesus who sees what's happening and in love, with an anger in his heart, takes the powerful, unpopular, bold action to do what is right. And that's what he does. This is why I have no problem following him. Because he's that same God that in those moments where I am crushed with despair and defeat, he can show up, he can be a shoulder to cry on, he can comfort me and he can lift me back up. And he's also the same guy that when there's a war, he will charge right through it. And I'll be glad to follow him because I know he'll fight that fight. See, brothers and sisters, my fear is as a lot of people have taken away the power of Christ in their minds. They've created this weak, soft, easy to hold Jesus because it makes them feel good. But the problem is the moment you do that, you've created someone you will never follow. You'll have him as a friend. You'll have him as a consultant. You'll have him as someone you talk to when times are tough, but you will not follow. The Jesus that is real and alive, the Son of God, the one presented to us in the book of the Bible. Amen. He is bold and he is powerful. He is somebody who does not back down. And I think we all need that. And not only do we need it, but we should reflect it. I always tell you guys at the end of every service on Sundays that God has given you a spirit of what? Power, love, and self-discipline. I think everybody's okay with the last two. I'm not sure how many people are comfortable with the first one. 
almost every Christian I've ever talked to embraces the fact that they need to be loving. Most of them embrace the fact that they probably need to exhibit some kind of self-discipline in their lives. But I've known so many who are just comfortable going their whole lives being weak. I'm sorry, that's not really an option. If the spirit of the holy, almighty God lives in you, you are called to be powerful. And it's not the kind of power that conquers the world. It's the kind of power, though, that says, I know who I am. I know what my mission is. I know who my father is, and I'm not backing down. Right, it's that quote I've shared with you before where when the mob and the world and everybody tells you that what is wrong is right and what's right is wrong, you plant yourself like a tree by the river of truth and you tell the world, no, you move. It's that kind of power. The kind of power that does not bend to the whims of the world, but stands strong in who God says we are. We have to exhibit that. There's a second thing I want you to see here in this power. It wasn't unusual. It was expected. Notice it says that as he was doing this, his disciples remembered what Scripture said. They were remembering things like Malachi chapter 3, where in verses 1 through 4 it says this, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He sits as a smelter and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may be present to the Lord's offerings in righteousness. Right? God's word had been telling us from the beginning, his messenger will come not just with love, but with a force. And what this force does is it purifies. Right? Jesus didn't come in the temple and wreck it because it wasn't in the right focus. No, he came in, he brought a fire, and what did it do? It expelled what was wrong, and it purified and kept what was right. And that's the same thing he's going to try to do in your life. Because if we're all honest, no matter how good we may have become, we're still sinners. We're still flawed. We're still broken, each and every one of us. And guess what? We will be that way until we die. What Jesus does in the temple is the same thing you should do in your heart. Which is that he sits there and he watches and he sees what doesn't belong and when he identifies it, he doesn't kindly ask it to leave you. He throws it out. He throws it out. They saw that righteous indignation and that wasn't something that scared them only. It was something that told them, this guy? This might be the guy that God sent. This might be the one we've been waiting for. This might be the one that God has been telling us is coming. There's another important purpose here. And it ties into this power. Jesus is fearless and bold in his purpose. Amen. I mean, all the way back to when Jesus was a young boy in the temple, right? Jesus knew who he was and why he was here. And every day, every moment, every sermon, every action, every healing, everything 
was pointed right towards that. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. And he was going to do it. Do you know what I love? He has no authority on earth to do what he just did. None. This is a, a, a non-formally trained carpenter's son who has started his own ministry. He has no authority or standing whatsoever in the temple. He has no political position. He has no religious position. There's no reason anybody should listen to him. But what happens? He clears that temple. And what I love is you could go, well, I mean, he may have just been so forceful that everybody had to flee. Yeah, that, that was obviously part of it. But notice, when the Pharisees and Sadducees show up to talk to him, they don't go, you have no right. We're reestablishing everything we had. Set it back up. No, they don't do that. They come back with questions. They come back with questions because here's what they know. We don't know who you are. We're not really sure how to put all these pieces together, but we know what you do have is power. It puts us on ease. We don't really know how to explain it. We don't really understand it. But there is a power that you have. And I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, it's stories like this that make me rethink what it will be like to be in his presence. Have you ever met those human beings in your life that are almost like animals? Have you ever met somebody who has that kind of like animalistic presence? Right? There's a power that you sense from them. Like when they're in a room, you, you could never miss them. Right? Like their presence is such that they walk in and all I see them. The presence is such that if they're there, you feel it. You know it. And if they leave, same thing. I think you and I drastically underestimate the kind of charisma and presence that Christ had. And it came from this. It came from this understanding of who he was. The Son of God. Here to save the world. Here to pull you from the depths of sin and darkness and lift you up into God's glory and God's love and God's righteousness. He doesn't care about titles. He doesn't care about your worldly authority. He doesn't care about what makes you feel good. He cares about what does he need to do to do his work. Amen. And again, I know this sometimes makes us uncomfortable. But it should also make us feel excited and at times very comfortable. Because it means your shepherd can fight off the animals coming after you. Your shepherd can defend you against the wolves. I'll leave you with one last story that to me highlights this amazing power that he had. If you flip to John chapter 18, in verses 1 through 8, we come to one of the darkest times in the story of Jesus' life. But it's also one that reminds us of his understanding of who he was and what he needed to do. In John chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, it says this. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden, in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. 
Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief of priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these things go their way. I love this exchange because do you see what happens? This is what I'm talking about, this presence that he has. Right, the whole thing is set up to make Jesus fearful and weak. Right, it's the middle of the night. Jesus is praying in a garden. And what happens? Judas shows up, sneak attack mode, Roman soldiers, way more than was needed to arrest Jesus, lanterns and weapons drawn, ready to induce fear. And when he sees them coming, does he tremble? Does he back down? No, he goes, who are you seeking? Jesus, that's me. And there is a boldness and an authority and a power in the way that he says, I'm he. That actually makes the soldiers step back. Makes them go to the ground. They come to bring fear, and he instead meets them with a power that makes them shiver. And then I love it. He almost has to encourage him, like, refocus, let's get this on. Right? I'm here to save the world. I need to be the sacrifice. So if you boys wouldn't mind standing up and not being wimps, if we could get the show on the road, that'd be great. They come to bring fear, and he puts it right back to them. Did you ever have those moments as a child when your father would do something and you would beam? Where you'd be like, that's my dad. Right? Where you'd have those kind of moments where you're just so proud to be the child of that person. When I read stories like this, it makes me feel that way. When I read stories like this, it makes me proud to go, that's, that's my Lord. Amen. That's my Savior. That's the one I follow. How awesome is our God. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we come before you, Lord, and we are just in awe of who you are. Father, as many great saints have said, if you were to never give us another thing in this world, we would have more than enough to praise you from here till eternity. Father, you are loving, you are powerful, you are kind. You are more than words can contain, Lord. And Father, we serve you, we follow you, not for what we hope you can give us, but for who you are. Father, my prayer is that each and every one of us in this room is consumed with a desire not to get the best from you, but to experience you. 
whether we walk through the green pastures of this world or we stand in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord. The location doesn't matter as long as we're by your side. Father, thank you for your word that reveals who you and your Son and your Holy Spirit are. And thank you, Lord, for reaching into the depths of death and pulling out the likes of us and giving us life. What an honor to be your children. In the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come forward. Uh, Brother Matt and Brother James and uh, Brother Justin will be in the back. And, and just if there's anything on your heart that you wish somebody else was praying for, feel free to come up while Maria is singing and share it with us. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable walking up during service to ask us to pray with you, please seek us out after. We are here to help you along your journey with God. Maria. Let's all stand. faith 
will never get me to shore. Can he find me here? Can he keep me from going under? Oh, my soul, you are not alone. There's a place where fear has to face the God you know. One more day, he will make a way. Let him show you how you can lay this down. Because you're not alone. Taking a seat real quick. Just take a couple of moments where you're at to talk to your father. Just ask him to speak to you. Brothers and sisters, it's always so important for us to remember that when we pray, we need to learn to be quiet too. It's real easy when we pray to talk. It's a lot harder for us to shut up and listen. And frankly, it's when we do that that he delivers the answers. Uh, Before we close today, I'll ask you guys just to bear with me on a couple of really awesome things that have happened this week. Um, I always tell you, you know, the beauty of being a family is that when we really know each other, uh, we get to divide each other's pains and we get to share each other's joys. And so uh, we have a few things to be really thankful for this week. Uh, first off, we're really glad to have the Haydens back in the back corner. Uh, the Haydens have been part of the Harmony family uh, for years and have been gone for two years, a year, four years, four years. Five, okay, five years, wow, I'm old. (laughs) Uh, And they are back, and so we are really glad to have them back. It is always good to see God bring loved ones uh, back into the fold. Uh, The second thing we had this week is that the uh, Light family's adoption of Kendra occurred, and so uh, that was a a very awesome moment for Austin. Uh, he said it was one of the best days of his entire life, and so he appreciates all the prayer and, and, and just all the love that the church has shown, and it's awesome to see those moments occur. Uh, the other thing that happened this week that I was going to say was a negative, but it's not. It's not when we're believers, is that Dottie's father was called home. Uh, Dottie's father was 94 years old. He was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a great man who built a great family, a man who fought for his country. Um, it's one of those people where when you read the obituary and all the accomplishments, you're like, man, it's amazing that people like this are real. People like this are, are really here. Uh, 
And so it's part of our tradition at our church that whenever we lose uh, somebody that we care about, that we love, that we just memorialize that with the Bible from the church. And so, Miss Dottie, this is for you. I want to encourage you guys of a few things. Remember that you have the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God living in you. Amen. That means, brothers and sisters, when we talk about stories like this, that Jesus, that's not a character who's dead in the past. That is a person who is alive today. And not only is he alive today, he lives in you. Amen. And so that spirit of power, love, and self-discipline is in you. And you have a mission. It's to go outside those walls and it's to make disciples that love God Love people and follow Jesus. Amen. So get to it this week. Do the work. Do the mission. And lay your head on your pillow every night, exhausted in doing the work of the Lord. I love you guys. Have a great week. And may God bless you. God put him